<laughs> hello, hello. My name is April Malone, and I'm with Yes, I Work From Home, and this is the podcast. Today, I have Jonas Altman from Vancouver with us. He describes himself as a workologist, and I was intrigued, and so I brought him in today, and here we are. Are you ready, Jonas? What is what is workology? I'm ready. Hi, April. Um, well, people know about anthropology, and they know about sociology, and lots of other words, and uh, with a Y. Um, there's a, there's actually a New York Times long running column that, that, that no longer runs. And it was called the workologist. Oh. And I didn't know that, but it was basically, a, it's, it is around the study of work and looking at work from, with an anthrop anthropological lens as, as a sort of experiment of how do we put humans in an office or how do we do work that the world needs versus um, toil and drudgery, which is what mm. work was once and in many ways was a, a, a first class ticket to heaven. And since the shift to, and you know a lot about this, of working from home and not having maybe healthy boundaries, it's all, all for the last 20, 30 plus years been about productivity, focus and outcomes. And it seems like that's uh, somehow um, in, integral to our way of living and our sense of self, which is great, except for if it's not a healthy balance. So I, I believe right. that the study, so the get study the most of bang from your buck <laughs> for, for sure. So I believe that the study of work is really about seeing how we can unleash the human spirit and make work more of a human endeavor versus a mechanistic sort of units and, and, and widgets kind of industrial model. Right. When you, when you're saying that, I'm thinking like the factories where they, they're always trying to increase that productivity and the, you know, the final outcome where now we're working in so many creative spaces where you have to have that balance to be able to think clearly and to come up with new stuff. Exactly. Precisely. So just to address this, for those of us, um, for, for those of our listeners who are watching today, I have Jonas an audio only today, and we just had a conversation about that. He said he's in a small town, his Wi-Fi isn't great, but there's some other reasons why sometimes it's nice to just listen and talk. Can you, can you expound on that a little bit, Jonas? Sure. Um, I mean, to that point around our currency in, say, advanced economies in the Western world is often our ideas and, and the mush between our brain, between our ears, our brain. Yeah. And so we're looking for ways to optimize or squeeze out as much as we can. And so what we have and what everyone has been talking about for six, seven months about Zoom fatigue is spending a lot of time on a screen in addition to the regular screen time, whether it's Netflix or TV or email or their smartphone. And now, instead of being in a room with people, uh, sinking to their breath and having your uh, irises sink, you're sort of looking at a screen, trying to make sense and decode what that person is doing. So when you turn off the audio, when you turn off the video, um, mm -hmm. whether it's for a conversation with a friend and you choose to call instead of doing a FaceTime, mm -hmm. or it's a meeting and instead of accepting the Zoom invite, you say, hey, I'm actually going to be for a walk with my dog. Do you mind if we just do a regular call? You actually switch 
the um, energy. So imagine driving with your husband in the car, having a conversation about the kids when your profiles are looking, you're not looking directly at each other, but you're both looking mm -hmm. at the road versus a long day. You come down, you plop down and you're sitting across from each other. The energy between that conversation will be different just by mm -hmm. the, the way that you're not really looking directly at each other. So my preference for many conversations as of late has been to default to either audio or audio and walking because I enjoy walking as do many other people. Yeah, good. Yeah. And like we were just talking about, like, how do people like to consume podcasts? And well, I consume podcasts usually with audio only if I'm like soaking in the tub or like my husband is often listening to them as he's like cleaning the kitchen, which by the way, my husband is awesome. And he usually cleans the kitchen more than I do. Cooking. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm more likely to listen to them. Like if I'm going for a walk, you know, that's kind of a right. peaceful time. Right. And just to be safe, you can't always have video on because then you're, you're so you, like you said, you use your brain in a different way. And then you're so, I would be more likely to be in an accident or a trip or something like that. So, um, I actually teach English and, one of the companies that I work for is always video. And if the kid's video isn't working, they're not allowed to have class. Like the teacher is expected to be able to see their lips moving at all times to help them with their pronunciation and enunciation and all that. Well, when I work with adults, it's different. They actually don't even have the capability of having the camera on at all. And people are like, how can I teach like that? I need to be able to see their lips. And I thought, you know what? It's kind of like a conference call. Mm. You, you can actually listen, you know, and understand, you just have to listen in a different way with focus. Mm. And honestly, a lot of these busy adults are like cooking or taking care of kids. And it would just be distracting to me, or especially if we're in a group lesson with six cameras on, like I had a lady confess to me one time that she was driving as she was taking her class. And I was like, mm. yes. maybe that wasn't the safe choice. Uh, you know? <laughs> well, I think there's, there's definitely something there around the art and skill of listening and listening well. And I think, including myself, um, we aren't really, uh, we don't really value the, the ability to hear people. And that's all that people are doing when they're talking is hear me, see me, love me. So if you can get more power and you can um, have people adapt to a learning style that is focused on the, the breath and the word and the pause, that's beautiful. And if it's very important to see the lips and the um, environment is going to be much more beneficial and impactful from a learning point of view to have, you know, your, your energy, whether it's on, on a screen or in a room, I think that that's, uh, uh, you know, very important. And then the other thing is, as I like close my eyes, I, I remember this research that talks about the brain blink. And the studies of people in, in showers or in baths have their uh, eyes or their, vi their vision uh, encumbered and aren't really seeing as well. So they're, they're actually um, very much like, say, a blind person um, amplifying their other faculties, which is why you get all these uh, bolts of inspiration. So, you know, some shower. people shower Eureka. a lot of time. <laughs> exactly. So if you can approximate that, in your day, whether it's through meditation or showering or just taking some time to like, you know, in between jumping into a meeting or listening to a podcast that actually does have a video, it can be 
beautiful. And then on the same side, sometimes, you know, the beauty of uh, voiceover protocol and, and live video streams is the fact that you can actually see, you know, Obama giving a speech on Instagram. And it's just amazing to sort of be, to see how humble that is and to see like how normal it is for someone who normally is dressed up in a white house to see their bookshelf. So yeah. it's not, it's not, it's not either or it's it's to be open that you have a choice when uh, so my husband and i have listened to this other podcast stuff you should know with josh and chuck with um howstuffworks.com i think mm. and they've been around for a long time we've been listening to them over a decade they've got hundreds of episodes um very uh objective and a lot of a lot of different kinds of topics we love them mm. we had listened to them for probably a good seven or eight years before we ever saw a picture of them mm. and their voices didn't match what we expected to <laughs> yes. see. Like we almost would have thought that they would have been the other way around for some reason. I don't know. Yes. Like we just had it kind of mixed up and we, we actually got to go see them live two, two years ago today or this week, I think. And um, it was, it was kind of weird <laughs> seeing <laughs> their voices coming out of a body. Yes. Well, that's how it was <laughs> on the radio. You, you, you get yeah. so accustomed to this person's voice, like a, a deep baritone voice from a man. And then you see him and he's like this scrawny, skimpy yeah. dude. And you're like, what? And you're like, I was way <laughs> off. Oh. Yep. <laughs> but it kind of adds to it. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. And sometimes you um, nail it. I mean, like, you know, I, I know what Howard Stern looks like, but if you, if you, if you don't know what Howard Stern looks like and you listen to his, his show, uh, you, 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 you might not necessarily uh, label it if you were given 10, cards like usual suspects <laughs> and says choose who's the host this wow. you know tall scraggly afro-y guy you, you probably wouldn't pick him but maybe you would so so when it comes to zoom fatigue because that's like i have some friends in a book club and we've been doing zoom book club for the last six months mm. and the other day they're like hey could we could we maybe like go to a park and like set our chairs out really far away from each other and see each other mm. in person mm. um and they're like, we're just we're just feeling Zoom fatigue. And I was like, well, let's talk about that. It ended up not really happening that way. Mm. Um, I didn't go. <laughs> and um, but I mean, some people are just getting weary. And I, I don't really want to get into the politics of the pandemic and everything. But like, you know, my husband just found out that, um, you know, well, he's known for some time that they're going to do like work from home semi-permanently through the pandemic. They're still at level zero at his company. Mm -hmm. um, they, they just emailed him and said, you know, we're looking at, you know, offering some of this as a permanent option for certain groups of, you know, employees and then hybrid for some people and looking at it in the, in the long run. And I was like, how do you feel about it? And he's like, yeah, it's good. But they don't do video. They just have, just like we're doing with you, um, just their images on the screen. Mm -hmm. And, and they, they just talk. talk. Mm. And that's all they do ever. He's never had to be in a video meeting ever in the last six months. How do you, how do you think, like from your studies, what is helping people do this in the long haul? That's a good question. Um, I mean, there's... There's first of all something to say about multitasking and if your husband can do the dishes and listen to a podcast or drive and eat yogurt and have a conversation with the kids, we're not actually multitasking, we're, we're switching between tasks really, really quickly. Rapidly. Rapidly. So He misses a lot when he's doing the dishes. He has yeah. to keep reminding and reminding and reminding right. and reminding. <laughs> so 
there's this idea in America, and it's not really in Europe, of, of presenteeism or even posturing. So being visible. And a lot, I think, and I don't spend that much time in, because I work for myself, I don't spend that much time in Zoom meetings per se. They're often safe spaces to share. There's coaching and other things. But what from what I hear and what I've learned is people are overcompensating to be visible. So if you're on the Zoom meeting and there's a video shining on you, even if there's 50 people on there, you are not doing the dishes. You are probably not even on your phone. You are looking at the screen. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, what that's implicitly saying is we don't trust you because you're now having to be present when actually there's no office and you're in your kitchen. So why not, if it's helpful, start cutting the onions and be present and mindful and enjoy the meat, the, I mean, this is an argument, it's it's maybe an opinion, enjoy the conversation, actively listen. And when it comes time to contribute, chime in. But if you're sitting there for 45 minutes, just listening to people offload and you're kind of starting to resent it, and you're realizing this is a status update meeting and you'd much rather be preparing lunch for the kids because you've got a conference call at one. Now you've got emotional baggage that you're having to Mm. deal with on your own, which is why we're seeing a a big spike in mental health uh, issues. So when I was uh, training for a company that I started working with the English teaching stuff, uh, my baby was still breastfeeding and we were attending trainings and there was an option. Like they weren't required to have the camera on, thankfully, because then I could right. care for my baby right. and listen and watch and, you know, eventually set the baby down and she'd, you know, whatever, go play or whatever. But um, <laughs> I, I nursed my babies a long time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I could actually do both because um, if I would have been demanded to be on camera, I wouldn't have been able to attend as many sessions, as many of these optional, like extra, uh, I don't know what you would have called them, workshops. Yes, that's right. And, and so a I lot of it that. is like, you know, a lot of that is, is is regarding, you know, what's the best way to conduct this meeting or what's the best way to learn. And the other one is, we're not meant to be spending this much time looking at screens. Like that's mm-hmm. not the, our natural state, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, somewhere around, you know, um, people have Instagram um, tracker, but like one of my friend's girlfriends was like, oh, I've totally curbed down my Instagram. I'm at 55 minutes. So always under an hour. And I was like, wow. is that good? And she's like, it's a lot better. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so that's, that's Instagram. And then let's add in your work. Let's add in Netflix. Mm-hmm. Let's add in web surfing. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you know, you're, you're easily at five plus hours a day, minimum, easy. I, I have the, I have an iPhone, it's old, which by the way, it reminds me, I like to keep my camera, not my camera. I like to keep the, the light source behind my, you know, screen here dim. So I'm not having so much of that blue light. And I did get the blue blocker glasses. I'm not wearing them on camera, but if I did, they'd be the ones that shine blue all over. Yes. Um, but I did finally, um, enable the the screen time tracker on my iPhone. I kind of knew it was there for like a long time. And I was like, "Mm, I don't even want to know. Right. (laughs) But when the pandemic started to get really, you know, uh, intense and then a lot of the social justice stuff was coming out, I was like, I, I was literally glued to my phone most of the day and I had things I needed to be doing. Yes. And I'm like, I should probably just know. And I started to put, um, blocks on my phone. I, I've learned that even if I put a passcode 
or if I would hide um, a certain app into another folder and make yes. it more difficult, my thumb could just find it oh, yeah. there so easily, like it's muscle memory kind of stuff. And I was like, I need to make it harder and harder and harder for myself. And sometimes I just have to leave my phone with my husband and be like, if it rings, let me know. Yes. I mean, this is, this is the, this is going to be our, um, you know, there's a wonderful book by Jenny Odell called how to do nothing. And it's, <laughs> it's really our, our one savior in an attention economy is training our brains and having discipline and knowing ourselves to say, okay, I'm going to indulge. I'm doing 10, 15 minutes of Instagram or whatever it is. And then I'm mm -hmm. giving my phone to my husband. Mm -hmm. Not many, not many people have that discipline. Many people don't. And those are the people that we need to be worried about because in many ways they're going to be quietly suffering and the toll will come in April of next year, uh, pun intended with your name, but like, you know, and, and then, then what will happen is, oh, we actually have a problem here because you're hardwired for novelty, which we all are. Right. What do you have for me? Give me a shot of dopamine. Let's do this. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I, I've watched everything I've want, wanted to on Netflix. I watched the Octopus's Teacher, David Attenborough. I've watched Ozark. I'm done. There's nothing on there. Yet I'm mindlessly scrolling through David Letterman's interviews trying to find the Kim Kardashian one, which I don't want to watch. <laughs> you right? do. <laughs> I do. I mean, I'm watching it. And I'm like, I really don't want to watch this. They're at CVS oh, buying man, like why that. Why am I? Right? So, so somehow the, the algorithm and Reed Hastings has won because they know me better than I know myself. There's a, a, it's a window oh, yeah. into my soul. Is my, is my Suggested videos on YouTube, they get me. Or even oh, yeah. on Facebook. Sometimes I'd be like, I literally should not. Yeah. I actually uh, installed a extension because I do use Facebook for work purposes. Mm. You know, I have a Facebook group and um, I'm always looking for similar-minded people, like for instance, to interview and things. So I do use it with purpose, but I can also fall down that rabbit hole and be in it for six hours. Yes. And so uh, someone told me, Maybe I read it about it in an email, productivity tips once upon a time. And just like the one thing that stuck with me was there's a extension on Chrome called Newsfeed Eradicator. Mm. And basically it, re it uses all of the features of Facebook. It's just the same as normal. And then it blocks your newsfeed. Mm. So you can purposefully be like, oh, I need to check in on um, my mom and I'll like, type in her name and I'll find her and I can look at her wall. I can see my notifications. I can use Facebook with all the features, except for I can't just scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll for six hours. It puts an inspirational quote right. Often about productivity right. <laughs> in place of the newsfeed. I'll be like, oh, I'm on my computer. I should be working. I can't fall into this trap right now. Later, I might indulge myself for, you know. 45 minutes let's be honest um you know while i'm whatever watching the kids do a bike ride in the parking lot yes. which is something that we do a lot lately yes you know i might catch up then but <laughs> yes no i mean the irony there is we've gotten to a point in time where there's you know i've got them too you know blocker apps and time tracker apps and apps to help us to stop using the apps that we have that are <laughs> um riddled with um noise and so that's that's the current state of affairs. Whereas, you know, at one point you'd be like, well, just don't have Facebook. You're like, that's not an option. I need it for work. Well, even if you block it, like, or not, even if you like delete the app from your phone, you can still like, and I knew how to do this. My thumbs could just get me there. Yes. You know, go into my browser and type it in. And like, I don't even know how it happened, but I'm on Facebook. Yes. Yes. I mean, I got, most people came off of Facebook or, or, or migrated 
Most people migrated to Facebook on in 2007 and 2008. Uh, me. Yeah, me too. Actually, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. I remember my friend had a, a video, like um, a video date, like someone had sent him a video that he was supposed to go on a date for, and he showed it to me. And I was like, what is this thing? He's like, it's Facebook, man. I'm like, what is that? He's like, it's from Harvard. It's like this thing. And I was like, okay. And then I didn't do anything. Um, about it and then like six months later i was like the last person everyone's like you're, you're basically missing the party like you're not there <laughs> anyway i stopped using facebook and deactivated my account in 2014 and wow. then slowly you'd hear these things of like they did a study uh they did a a study on cornell university students by sending 700,000 students more negative news to see how mm. it affected their mood and sure Gosh. enough it affected their mood um, they had the uh, Cambridge Analytica scandal, you know, all the Russia stuff, but still there's utility in, in the platform. And of course, when you have WhatsApp, Facebook and Instagram all, and we don't have to totally get into this deeply, all owned by the same company, mm -hmm. sharing data, um, allowing for beautiful, amazing things like, you know, um, civic uh, action and and fundraising and mobilizing also has a dark side, right? Yeah. Addiction, pornography, uh, sexting, whatever it could be. There's there's always going to be a double edged sword. So it's just about yeah. mindful, conscientious use. Right, and I live in a state away from my family. Uh, it's a twenty nine hour drive. Where are you to go see my parents? I'm in Arizona. Oh. But I'm originally from Minnesota. Okay. So I understand the cold weather. You're in Vancouver, right? Yeah. Is that wet and rainy? Or it's do you it's wet too? and rainy. You nail if I could. It's exactly what it is today. <laughs> right now, all, most of the time, and we are sunny and hot most of the time. Right. But yes. we had a little bit of a cold front. It was like down to 63 degrees, and my kids were like getting out their winter parka. Right. Right. <laughs> um. Yeah. So to drive to see my family is it's a really big deal. To fly is a big deal because it's expensive. Um. And, you know, my husband's family is equal distance far away and it'd be two different flights. And, you know, we get to see them maybe once a year, every sometimes six months, sometimes 18 months or two years. And we've only been here for almost five years, I think, but we just don't see them enough. Mm. And so now my grandma, my grandma, who's 91 years old, is on Facebook. And, <laughs> yes. um, you know, just things that happen that I wouldn't see. Otherwise, like I wouldn't have been in the loop. Yes. Uh, catching. I've lived in lots of different states. And so I definitely know about the utility, but I also know the dark side. And it's really hard to find a balance sometimes. There's ways you can screen things and make sure that you see the people who are positive first and, you know, snooze the people who are less positive, which I've recently started to do a little bit more of. Um, well, it sounds, anyway, yeah, it sounds like you've got, you've got sort of um, discipline and awareness. I'm concerned about, you know, a 17 year old who's who's been sort of locked down for several months and yeah. really their whole social life is taking place um on the internet right yeah for sure we have three kids and we're doing online school mm. yes um they do get to see their classmates a little bit but even there um most of the time they only see the teacher right sometimes we'll do zoom with a friend but I'm just thankful right now that we have three kids. Right. Because so, right now they are each other's social yes, life with exactly. us. And we're getting along really well. It's going pretty terrifically compared to, you know, some of the mm. 
junk that we were dealing with maybe a year ago when we were too busy and some meltdowns more than we should have had. Um, like we're at a pretty peaceful level overall, but it is, there's it's a lot to balance and we're pretty careful about them not like getting into chat rooms, like mm. basically telling them why. Let's talk a little bit about your work. What do you do? You said you've been working ho- from home for how long? I was thinking about that but when you sent me the invite yesterday. So I officially started working from home in 2003. Um, I was living in London, England, and I quit my job in the music industry. And I remember I basically opened up my laptop in my bedroom on my uh, at my bedroom desk. Like I had this desk Mm -hmm. in my in uh, south of London, and I was using a lot of um, creative software like uh, InDesign and Photoshop. And I had like 17 windows open. I had bought my first MacBook Pro. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I can do this. And I, if I reflect on it, because obviously I have a, a, a revisionist history, I just sat there for like ever and never left and just worked and worked and worked and worked. I had no way of turning off because now there was no office. So my first introduction to working from home was basically working when I was awake, like I wake up, brush my teeth, sometimes shower for burnout. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, def- it is the recipe for burnout. So in, me- in many ways, I look at it as like, I did it not so much as like an active choice. I just did it as like, I'm gonna not work for this company anymore, which a year later went out of business. I'm gonna go pave my own way. And, right. and so in, in many ways, it was exhilarating and exciting. I was 27 years old. Um, and since then, I think I've, in many ways, adopted a, a, a mindset of work from anywhere, work in an environment that inspires you, that caters to your psychological, creative, intellectual, spiritual self, and shut the up if you're complaining that you have to work at your kitchen for a couple hours. Like that's an amazing thing to be able to even do. So to be grateful. And uh, now I just like, even today when I'm like thinking about what, when am I gonna work? Where am I gonna work? I'm, I'm excited about the prospect of, of having the ability to, to design my day, design my week. And that's been a big passion of mine because I did uh, a really sort of, I had a, I had a rocky start and I think I learned with getting the, the, the sort of scars and, and learnings of burning out, of um, not knowing that I needed to be with people sometimes when I was being so sort of isolated and stubborn, mm-hmm. um, sometimes needing a space that's not the home and, and a, a co-working space or an office and, and mm-hmm. utilizing that. So yeah, it's been a long journey if I think about it. And I was also thinking about the history of homework like not homework, but working from home. Yeah. And you probably know this. So the original, original working from home is hunter gatherers and going and getting food. Um, Then it's the medieval age of, you know, woodworkers and casting irons and making swords. And then at some point it becomes the pioneering sort of creative artists in New York and in, in Los Angeles and, and London that, that could make their art from home in their studio. And farmers. And farmers, like, for sure. Yeah. And then we got teleworking, which got a bad rap in sort of 80s right. Japan. And it was all about 
kind of, do we really trust you? Like, how do we know you're doing work? And mm -hmm. do we have the network infrastructure to actually give you a phone? I mean, one of the studies that I found when I was writing the book was mobile technology is still totally undershadowed. So it's like stationary desktop and mm. stationary phone outnumbers mobile two to one. Really? Now? This is before the pandemic. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like it was basically you had to go to the office to do the work uh -huh. because they didn't give you the tools to do it from anywhere. It was a secure line. Yeah. I know, like, that was a really big deal. I used to work for Mayo Clinic, Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, mm. and everything was about, you know, patient confidentiality. Mm. We needed to have a secure line, you know, secure internet. And then after, they were a little late to the game, but they finally figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people that work from home, but we were still restricted to our office. You had to work in the office with a router, you couldn't take a computer to another, you couldn't go, you couldn't even go to another room in the house. You were, you had to get permission to change your office setup from one room to another. You needed to get um, permission to move from one city to another city. Um, they needed, to, especially if it was out of state, you'd have to get permission um, because of tax purposes. Mm. So we did not have, like, when I would tell people I work from home, they'd be like, oh, you get to set your own schedule? And I was like, no. No. <laughs> I am an hourly employee. I had to get permission to take lunch. I mean, it was very controlled. Um, and I think they're giving them a lot more autonomy mm. now with, with their schedule. schedule. Like, I, I interviewed uh, a, a former coworker of mine recently, and I had to work really hard to have, like, a flexible lunch schedule. And now that's just automatic. Mm. They took my idea and ran with it. I don't know. <laughs> Yes. I read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss and I like went and I was like, if you want me to keep working nights, these, these are my requests. So you identify more as a work from anywhere than specifically work from home. Yeah. Like, um, so if you think about, um, if the, if, if a company is giving a, a, a long leash to an employee, they're basically saying, you know, be visible, be present, even if you're at home or at a co-working space or a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. But if you could just, and, and that we should say that the pandemic has accelerated perhaps uh, the whole work from home or remote working by about five years, at least. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so there's, a, there's a beauty there. There's also all sorts of repercussions around preparedness mm -hmm. for it and mental health issues. Right, but or equipment. Equipment. <laughs> so, so prior to the pandemic, I was a member of WeWork. And I would yeah. go, I would go to WeWork and I often wouldn't work. I would socialize. I uh -huh. would, sorry, I would work in a different way, which is uh, business development, uh, knowledge sharing, uh, cultivating relationships. So it was mm -hmm. so, it was a social thing. My motivation to go to a co-working spaces, co-working space was to network and socialize. Then the pandemic came and that was sort of gone. It was like, I just, there was no need to go there because first of all, no one's there. And mm -hmm. we can we can go into the WeWork story or into co-working as a as a as a separate topic. And right. then it was I was like I actually interviewed someone that did talk about this a few, oh. few episodes ago. Okay. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, my home office is now my office office. So I like mm -hmm. kitted it out, I got some plants, I really made it a place that like I could go to, which was upstairs, and then kind of um, induce a sense of it's time to work. But of course. Around the corner is the laundry machine. Downstairs is a fridge. Next door is the, the neighbor who just had a baby. And, and all of a sudden, it's sort of like, it's like a Simpsons episode or something where I'm like working from home, but I'm delusional because I'm not actually getting my, the great, great work done.
It's a big shift. It's a big shift. So it was because, uh, for, when I reflect on it, it was now the choice had been removed. Even if I had chosen to work from home and WeWork was up the road, it was literally, it's a, it's a 10 minute walk. I, I, I had actively said, well, I'm just going to do two hours in the house and then I'm going to go meet that person for lunch. But now I'm not even going to meet that person. So it had been sort of invisibly stripped from me. So I started to, in many ways, either, not necessarily suffer, that's extreme, but I started to not appreciate that I also needed to uh, move around. Like our bodies are meant for moving. So That 10 minute walk was taken away from you. Sure, yeah. So my commute. So in effect, um, and now things in Vancouver have opened up a little bit more, but in effect, I now, uh, I have three stations in my house. I have the kitchen, which I love. I have the living room and I have the office. So those are three spaces that I can work from home that all have a different feel. When I get to the yeah. couch, I ain't getting off the couch again. So the couch is like sort of <laughs> after dinner or it's like the fun stuff, like, you know, podcast. It's like researchy work, reading stuff. But the okay. kitchen and the office are two two places, and sometimes my brother comes over and he always he knows like if if I'm there he knows not to talk to me, and often wow. I, in, in co working spaces I often have my headphones on, which is a a signal leave me the yeah. alone. Yeah. Um, I have a coffee shop in Vancouver, or I don't have it, but my friend owns it. It's called Platform Seven, and I wrote half of the book there, oh. and I did so not because um, I decided to it I did so subconsciously because the environment in that coffee shop was just enough white noise that it is a little bit of a distraction to help me to focus so you look oh, around yeah. and you see some chit chat you see some people on the computer and you're like aha right this is why I'm here so I could do two hours of uninterrupted writing and then I would burn out or I can't I, say I had the same experience when I try to work from I, I think I would I would hear everything. I would actually bring earplugs. Oh, I bring my headphones ears. and I turn on some funky disco music and I just, uh, yeah, I just love it. I and wish, then the, the coffee. I wish I could zone out like that. <laughs> oh yeah, and the coffee is from Portland. It's Stumptown Coffee, so it's some of the best coffee I think in the world. And then uh, it's modeled on Platform Seven in Garden Nord in Paris, so it gives you this European kind of, um, kind of like coffee shop renaissance feel where everyone's you know kind of crazy exchanging ideas and there's a bookstore next door and i didn't realize this and then when i finished the book and i was talking to the owner i said you, you realize i i probably wrote half this book in your coffee shop he's like i'm aware because you because you were there all the time uh and and the, the pandemic kind of changed things because one he you know it wasn't safe to to keep it open so it was only takeout and in many ways i think the coffee shop as a model is in many ways the competition for co-working space like why ah, why should i spend yeah. 400 pounds or 400 bucks a month yeah when i can if i'm only gonna do because i'm only in the coffee shop for maybe two max three hours two two hours mm -hmm. is usually my limit of like focused work your rent is paying for your snacks yeah and coffee yeah and, and you, you know you saw it all over the all over the world you see it in ace hotel in new york and in uh, london and la you see it in some of the hippest coffee shops and some of the coffee shops had to say, you know, no Wi-Fi or you know, no laptops for more than an hour. But many places are like, hey, listen, like use your judgment and etiquette and come here and, and spend some money and do what you need to do and, and bugger off. Mm -hmm. So between a co-working space, a coffee shop, 
and home, there is no such thing for me as a permanent office. And the last okay. permanent office I had was in 2010 in London, and my rent was like half my income. Right. Like, so yeah. I'm curious how you got from London to Vancouver. Was that oh. a move that was because you're like a digital nomad, or was that like a permanent? Uh, well, I also read Tim Ferriss's uh, Four Hour Work Week, but I read it quite late. I probably read it. Um, maybe 2015 or 16. I'm not sure when it came out, but I definitely didn't mm -hmm. read it when it came out. And I, I think that there's, there's a, there's a beauty in that concept. And there's also like an, a dark underbelly. <laughs> we don't have to necessarily get into it, but we, we could. I have opinions. I do yeah, too. I yeah. mean, he's so, kind of a jerk sometimes, but you get, you get the good stuff out of it. Yeah, too. no. And you know, listen, it's, uh, there's a value in understanding that work doesn't have to be this thing that consumes us and doesn't have to be the centrality to our life. And that, that, yeah. that theme sort of came up after I finished or as I was finishing the book. And I realized that as someone who's obsessed with work and loves it and gets energized by it, if I was religious and I had um, a church or a synagogue or a mosque that I visited every day, I probably would put less emphasis on work. So I'm, I'm well aware that I have used work as a, as a place to find meaning when the question could become, why are you looking at work in the first place to be a place for that? But, you know, that's a, mm -hmm. a whole other thing. The social um, part of it and yeah. everything. But to, uh, to answer that question, I think when I was living in London and I was there for 12 years, I really was in what people call the bubble or the uh, hedonic treadmill. I would work hard, then I would decompress and because the energy was so buzzy i didn't really know how to stop i love nature i'm here um, on this little island uh well bigger island off of vancouver called vancouver island at a small town called tofino where the only activity here is dog walking hiking and surfing wow. so after this call i'll go surf for a couple hours and then i'll come back and work so i didn't i didn't realize that that was possible because i didn't give myself permission I thought, you know, like, just keep working, keep working, keep working, and then you'll make a lot of money. And then you can go and start, you know, doing all the things that you enjoy. So, you know, the idea of the four hour work week, in many ways, is you can retire in real time, like you, you could work for four hours a week, drop shipping from Amazon and live in Thailand, like that's an option. Um, I didn't really in, in, I didn't really like say, hey, that's the life I want, I sort of fell into it. So from 2014 to 2018, maybe 2019, even last year, I would, I would call myself location independent flexi worker. I went all over mm -hmm. the world. I was mm -hmm. in Japan, I was in Bali, Thailand, South America. And I did the work from anywhere thing. I didn't do it that well all the time, but sometimes I did it really well. And I was like, aha, this is, this is what it's all about. And you meet people who, who have basically adopted that way of living. They might be more gypsy uh, in, in their blood, or they might be more free spirits and mm -hmm. just not want to be anywhere. But the pandemic has shown me and a lot of other people that the art of stillness and being local and finding ways to travel without traveling, like on mm -hmm. a plane, is also wonderful. So... Um, Buildings. I've been I've been to yeah I've been to lots of different places in British Columbia which is the province where I am I've 
um, reconnected with uh, old friends in new ways. I've connected with the same friends in different ways. I've grown closer bonds with my family. And so uh, my point there was, oh, and I also got older. So my point was, is that uh, <laughs> I, I migrated from London to a new way of looking at the, the world as like a global village. And in many ways, gave myself permission to work from anywhere. Whereas before I thought that you had to be in London to be like in business because that's like a, a mega city and that's where uh, innovation happens. And it's, so, yeah, it's true to a degree. Yeah. Mega cities do have a lot of um, intellectual property and creative collisions and wonderful things, but you're seeing more and more of people like leaving cities or going to cities for that and then living on the fringes, especially places like New York right now. It's like if you could live uh, in Brooklyn or in the Hamptons, of course, that's where you're going to want to be. And then you'll go into Manhattan when you need to. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, that's what I've been talking to when I talk to my friends there. So, yeah. So just saying like this whole idea that we're, the whole world is moving to mega cities and there's going to be 50 mega cities by 2010. I, I it might still be the case. 2010? Uh, sorry, uh, 2050. There'll be 50 mega cities, which is 20 million um, uh, people or more, like sort of a Mexico, Mexico City type, which is like a migration to the city for opportunity. Mm -hmm. But if remote work and flexible work is really taking, uh, it's taking hold, mm -hmm. the, maybe that's going to slow down or maybe there'll yeah. only be, say, 12 mega, mega cities and they'll just be huge and the rest will just sort of be like, you know, people choosing nature and choosing to live, you know, just outside. So uh, a good section of my audience is um, I, I've been trying to mix it up and interview a combination of entrepreneurs, mm. freelancers and things, as well as employees. Yes. So the people who are, you know, in that nine to five job mm. or who do, you know, work specifically for a, a local office where they ha are required to go in maybe like a half a day a week or something like that. And so a lot of people do have roots down. Maybe they have joint custody with their, you know, ex or something like that with the children. So they can't just be location independent. Mm. What kind of things would you, um, I guess, another thing that I see, and, I, and I'm kind of getting all scattered now. <laughs> you got my mind flowing also Good. in different directions. That's what I do. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I'm just thinking about these people who are like, oh, if only... I could blah, 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 you know, travel the world and see all these things um, or who are looking for jobs right now. Maybe a lot of people just got laid off and they're trying to find a work from home job right now. Mm. Do you have anything that you've learned along the way? Is your book about workology? My book is about the changing nature of work. So it's how work has, has moved away from a industrial mode or mindset mm -hmm. to a humanistic one. And then it looks at the most pioneering companies that were already office-less and or high-trust cultures, mm -hmm. such as Buffer or WordPress or Semco okay. or Burtzorg. And there's all sorts mm -hmm. of wonderful companies that have innovated without a pandemic um, having to be the catalyst. Mm -hmm. And then it looks at the future of what possibly could be a preferable future where you know humans are um cherished as assets and not resources to be ma managed right. so for someone who's in a uh position now and things are not pretty and they're probably going to get a lot uglier where work is precarious or where they don't have 
autonomy or agency. There's, there's mm -hmm. some things that can be done. There's a whole body of research around job crafting, which um, is really just broken into three pillars. There's uh, bosses that are the destroyer of meaningfulness and the people that you work with. So you have to recraft your relationships, which is really about boundary setting and doing the work on yourself so that, that when someone sends you a, co a carbon copy and you go, holy you, you, you actually don't have that reaction. You just laugh. So you, you re uh, imagine your relationships with your colleagues and bosses, if that's a source of um, pain right now. And I work with a lot of people specifically around that. I'd say two, one or one of every three people that I work with or coach have someone in their organization, which is who is often not a grown up. It's a grown up yeah. man child. Right. Right. So this is, we just call it out and then you're like, okay, so or mean girl. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of it's managing up and all that. So that would be um, relationship crafting. Task crafting is the hard one, which is like, let's say you're a project manager. That's your job, but you're really good at it. And if you are honest with yourself, you have about 20 or 30% more bandwidth to do other things, but you just haven't necessarily taken the initiative or you're really not that motivated. And so your energy should go into looking for another job or volunteering and, and saying, I want to be on that committee, or I want to set up um, uh, Toastmasters, or I want to run a podcast and taking initiative to extract some more value or meaning from your job. And you're not necessarily overworking, you're just managing your time well, because you're delivering on your duties. That's called task crafting. And the final one is really the, the most important one, which is your inner world. So how does April or Jonas look at themselves and see and experience their work? There's fundamentally uh, something going on when when you're not feeling like the puzzle is aligning. So uh, you're in the wrong industry, you're not being promoted, you're really not enjoying the day because by the end of the day, you're just exhausted and you take a nap. A lot of that has to do with your own coding, your own experiences, and you have control over your mind. So what's going on there? So job crafting is this whole thing. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's actually um, revealing to say, actually, there's no way that I can turn this job into one I love. It sucks. That's okay. a good outcome. And then for the people who just can't leave, whether it's Minnesota or Manitoba or you know wherever, whatever place, um, I don't really have like anything I can say is like helpful to say, like, if you really want to travel the world, then you're gonna have to make some, some fundamental life choices. Uh, but there's usually a way to do sort of an audit around what are the types of what are your values? And what are the types of companies where your values can be lived or uphold upheld, because that's super important. What are the types of skills that you have that you know have currency in the market and that you could double down on and and even if they're not necessarily the things you want to do by by in effect doing them well you might turn them into your passion or they might become something that lights you up or you're actually in a position now of abundance or financial security where you can start to look to shift sideways so a lot of that is find out what you're great at and do that and make that your job or your work, as opposed to be like, I want to be an opera singer. Uh, there's a lot of literature out there. I'm, I'm a, 
I'm a kind of person who experimented with a lot of things until I landed on something. And I'm pretty aware that this is a pit stop and I'm going to find something else. So I'm one of those people who never decided what they wanted to be. And I'm going <laughs> to just do a lot. But that's, and I was watching Rashida Jones last night on Netflix, who is Quincy Jones's daughter. And, you know, she went to Harvard. She's a comedian. She's a writer. She's an actress. And she said, you know, in my 50s, I want to become a master at something. And I thought that was quite beautiful. Like the world is cherishing right now the expert generalists. You can podcast, you can edit, you can teach English, you can mother, you can do all of these things relatively well, really well. Why not? People are looking to make money though. And like right now I'm in a lot of groups of moms, working moms, moms who have like a desk job at home, you know, for corporations and things. And they just got laid off. And now they're like, the job market is is crazy competitive right now. How do I find something that is going to give me the flexibility to be the mother I want to be, but, you know, also bring in the money? And I kind of feel at a loss sometimes because the jobs that I held are kind of like, I was a medical transcriptionist for a long time. So another story. Mm. I never want to be that. I also studied music, by the way. <laughs> um but that job is not a job that I can just say, oh, yeah, come and be a medical transcriptionist now because that job is like going extinct. Yes. You know, there are very few people that can keep that job because voice recognition technology has changed that landscape. Mm. Um, and so I'm like, well, I had this good job, but I can't say that you could get it. Or, you know, even like the teaching English um, definitely has been affected by the pandemic. Yes. My, my teaching hours. And so it's like, do you see a lot of people shifting from you know, 1099 or, you know, just a corporate job, salaried hourly employee stuff to more of the entrepreneurial stuff? Or is that just too risky right now? Well, it's a great question. The The Upwork uh, freelancer report before the pandemic predicted that half the economy will, half the American economy will have uh, at least uh, two employers per per person in the working world by 2025. So they'll be filing on their forms, you know, like freelancer. Oh, that, that they have changed. Okay. Yeah. That was the prediction. They're doing both. Yeah. So it'd be like, you know, you might have a full-time job and drive Uber at night. You might, you might side. be uh, selling stuff on Etsy, doing freelance graphic design, who knows, but you are you don't have one employer. So you're, you're right. in many ways, a fractional worker or a portfolio worker, whatever you want to oh. call it. I right. thought that was really exciting. And then I read a book by Sarah Kessler called uh, The Future of Work and the End of Jobs, Gigged. And it followed a mother who ended up becoming like a guru on Amazon Mechanical Turk. And she got carpal tunnel. She could never stop working because she always can make like seven cents by transcribing something or, you know, converting something that was being automated, like with Kepcha an Uber driver who was addicted to surge pricing and just couldn't stop because he just wanted to make that little bit right. extra money. Yeah. And it followed the precarious nature of gig work, which is not the passionistas. This is not people who are like selling kombucha in Portland or, you know, the barber who's doing beard grooming and, you know, whatever. These are the people who are um, in precarious work. They don't have benefits. And if something goes wrong, everything falls to sh Month by month. Definitely. So it got me, it, it, it sort of, I checked myself and I was like, oh yeah, like I forgot, like I'm actually in this upper echelon of yeah. very fortunate, able to teach and coach and write and it's a totally mm -hmm. different world. So, you know, 
I can't speak to some of the people like you've been saying with the, um, the moms who've lost their, their jobs and stuff. I can say that humans are fundamentally um, more adaptable than perhaps any other species. That's why we're here. That's why we're having this conversation. That's why we're having a, what are we using? Riverside.fm. Like we are absolutely incredible when you think about foresight and hindsight. So, and we can bind time. Like your, these mothers can see themselves with their kids at graduation and their kids having kids. So mm -hmm. what's needed now is creativity and innovation and dissatisfaction is the breeding ground for creativity. So it's like, I'm, I'm really pissed off with my employer. Okay, great. Be pissed off with them. Get your severance, sue them, do whatever you need to do and move on. Sort of like people who are always bitter about their ex. Like, you know, it's like four years on and they're still moaning. It's like, you know, what if you just let it go and, and actually repair that and cho chose love and curiosity so that you could move on. So I know that sounds quite brash and I know I might be tone deaf for some of these people, but I would say that things like Upwork, things like uh, online teaching, things like care, uh, home, home, home care and caregiving and coaching are all industries that can be done online and are all booming because people need that support and they don't want robots to do it. Teaching, caregiving, and coaching. I can, I can say that those are fields that I see uh, continuing to rise. How do you do caregiving online? Because when I'm thinking, I'm thinking in-person caregiving. Oh, sorry. Well, um, yes, sorry. Caregiving would be uh, frontline workers as well as apps and technology that offer support. So there's lots of, there's a big app right now that's had some controversy that does psychotherapy online. And all oh, yeah. of the psychotherapists and counselors that I know um, in terms of mental health are doing online delivery. But yes, like care caregiving in a, in a care home is, you can't really do it online. So I could... Yeah. Right. But, but, but like, that, that um, type of work you can still get into if you're willing. Like the professional services can be uh, remote now. It can be remote. Work. Yeah. Um, and it, it, comes, it comes back as well. Is, is this a gift or a curse? So if someone has been let go and they really, really love their work and it, the company is not doing uh, well and they've been let go, it's, it sucks. Any way you cut it. But if they really didn't like their work and they were just holding on, before the pandemic and they were just this this is an opportunity if you frame it that mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. oh yeah um when i uh left my t uh transcription job it was basically i had something else lined up like this whole teaching from work gig was just going to be like a little extra income to cover you know say extra extracurricular activities with my kids right well when mayo clinic is like <clears throat> We need to cut back on how many people we have in our department, and we're going to give you the option to leave if you want a voluntary separation package, kind of like severance. Mm. Uh, who who wants to volunteer? And I was like, me, because I already had something lined up. And I think it comes with the whole, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm. You know, try to diversify a little bit. It's nice to have a backup plan. So, like, you're never only stuck with one thing. Yes. I mean, you know... <laughs> If we were in a conference right now, or we were in a room with whoever's listening, someone could say, and I, I'll speak for them. What are you guys talking about? Like get a grip. Like there's potentially going to be more unemployed workers in the world than since the great depression, the highest yeah. in a peacetime. Uh, 
the 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 debt of governments is like in the four trillions. It's it's so high that to dig ourselves out of this, airlines are now looking at 2024, 2025 as being a sense of normalcy. Like the the ripple effect of this is is like I'm actually getting shivers right now as I say it. And here we are having a podcast talking about like, should I work from a coffee shop or should I work from my under in my underwear? So you gotta like look at we are really a negligible amount of people who can even talk about this, who are not in factories, who are not in industries and in the service industries that have really uh, a, a real up, uphill battle. One is skills training and, and, and development to be employable and, and not be before it was automation. Now it's just, is there enough jobs out there? Universal basic income and a social safety net to help with this. Um, looking at work being distributed and uh, maybe someone says, well, I'll work three days a week now because I have some extra income and I'll actually let my colleague have that extra day. So job sharing and distributing work in a different way and emotional labor, the, all the work from domestic work. I mean, the original working from home was taking care of the kids and cleaning. That's, that's, that's work. And so when we look at a new work ethic and we start to value what a teacher does versus an investment baker, or at least the teacher as equal, if not more uh, impactful, then we might get to a place where this conversation has um, more sympathy or probably more empathy to people's um, precarious positions. Whereas I, you know, work from home as your podcast title, we have to go with a grain of salt here that like either you already are working from home or that's something you really are planning on because you you believe and you're going to be determined to create a life where you have autonomy and agency in your work. Who will benefit the most from your book right now? Uh, well, that's a, that's a loaded question. And I love it. The, the person, the people that will benefit most from the book are leaders or emergent leaders in organizations who can affect change. They will see that the way that organizations have been structured was on a model that's no longer fit for the world we live in and the amount of impact that they will have on their colleagues, on their bosses, on stakeholders, and even on their family will be uh, tantamount. So that would be the most. And then those who are in transition and are kind of scratching their heads right now or getting excited and giddy about what's in store for this new world would also benefit because I, I chronicle a lot of people who did beautiful U-turns or 180s to turn the ship around so that work becomes something that energizes them as opposed to, to depletes them. So the people who can, especially the leaders, who might be able to help part of their workforce switch to a more home-based uh, option to to give them that that longer leash, right? The the more autonomy rather than like having people burning out because they're working from home. Precisely. And and when we use okay. language like uh, flexible work or home based, uh -huh. what we're really saying is giving people the autonomy to choose where, when and how they work. So mm -hmm. instilling trust. And right. the leash kind of gets cut hopefully. There is no leash anymore. Yeah. 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 Right. right. Um, and I know that some industries are going to be a little bit more open to those than others. Um, you know, some 
Some types of work are going to be more, you know, they'll, they'll see a productivity shift in a positive direction and some industries might not. Like I've, I talked to someone the other day and they said, you know, the sales team was struggling um, until they got back to the office because they needed that competition. Mm -hmm. But um, the, the creative people or the introverts who just need a quiet space were really doing well from home. Um, tell us the name of your book, where we can find it and where we can find you for people that might need your coaching or any of the services you provide. Sure. I would say one thing about that last point. There was a company in London called the Welcome Trust that piloted the four-day work week. And yeah. they got very far along the way. They're like basically the same as the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And they discovered that they had two types of workers predominantly. They had the knowledge workers that can work from home and were doing more funding and giving of the funds to charities and so forth. And then they had the people who worked in the museum and who were actually like on the ground. And the people in the museum and on the ground wanted the hours and wanted to be present. Whereas the knowledge worker type workers really valued the four day work week. So they found it very difficult to move completely to the four day work week for everyone because there was different mm -hmm. types of workers within the same organization. Mm -hmm. So it's quite nuanced. Personality nuanced. sought out the different kinds Correct. of jobs. Correct. And different nuance based on the type of work. So, uh, yeah. you know, sales versus create creative work, you know, um, but that said, so my, the name of my book is Shapers, Reinvent the Way You Work and Change the Future. Um, it's designed and it's spaced out for people who have uh, problems focusing, like my brother and myself. So it's lots of white space, some diagrams and so forth. And you can go to shapers.life and it has all the places you can buy it, uh, Chapters, Indigo, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, if that's your thing. And for me, people can go to jonasaltman.com and you'll find my contact info and how and who I coach. And um, I've been just really excited to talk to people like you and I'm grateful for you hosting me today for this conversation. This has been great. And I mean, we went again. This is kind of turning into a trend. It's supposed to be 35 minutes. And I'm like, you know what? We're just going to blow through it all. I know. It's, all good. it's good. I, I didn't look at the time. And then when I did, I was like, wow, we, we can yap. And I really like to think of the people who are working from home, maybe who don't feel connected right now, listening to a podcast like this to be like, you know what? I'm not alone. Yes. So I'm hoping that this is serving people like that who, you know, need that connection and to hear the stories of how people have gone through that mind shift, mindset shift. Yes. So. Yes. Okay. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Well. Let's wrap this up. Thank you, Jonas. I will say this is April Malone with Yes, I Work From Home, and we'll see you next time. See ya. Take, Take care. care. Bye. Bye.